0: Good morning, Woodland Hills, in person and online. It is such a pleasure to get to be with you. I have hoped to be here for a really long time, so this, this feels like a long time coming. Um, Greg asked me to give a little bit more of a personal introduction before I get started this morning, so I was thinking, um, wh- what do you need to know about me to feel like we really know each other? Um, I am a pastor in Phoenix, I am a college basketball fan and also a British baking fan, because I think balance is the key to adult maturity. <laughs> I I do not have a pet, I wish I had a pet, but I have failed three times to keep a cactus alive. Um, So I'm still building toward it, but I do have a Triceratops bone that is my prized possession. And maybe you think that is weird and maybe it's endearing, but that's on you. And your church and mine are also kind of, we're partners through the Jesus Collective. Um, We've been here doing some work this week, which is awesome. Um, But one of the other connections between your church and mine, you may not know about. I did not tell Greg this. Um, But from time to time, I get emails from total strangers that say, dear Megan, I heard Greg Boyd say such and such, and I'm thinking about believing him, but I'm wondering if you think he's right. (laughs) So Greg really owes me that great St. Paul pizza that he gave me yesterday. (laughs) Um, But let's just take a moment in prayer as we dive into scripture this morning. God, breathe in your word by the power of your spirit so that it will live for us and we can live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one of the strangest statements in the Gospels is Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Now, those of us who are Christians, we believe that Jesus is God Incarnate, right? He, he's God in human flesh. So, so, what does it mean Jesus prayed? Is Jesus just talking to himself? Like, is this what he says to his disciples when he needs a little me time? Andrew, Peter, enough with your bickering. I got to go pray. I mean, and he doesn't just pray, he, he fasts, he, he studies scripture, he worships, he sings, he goes to synagogue. Why? Isn't the point of being the teacher that you don't have to do the homework? I mean, I think this question actually brings us to the edge of a game-changing kind of revelation about who Jesus is and what it means to be one of his followers. If you've ever read some of the stories of Jesus, you might be familiar with some of the spectacular things that he's known to have done. I mean, he fed 5,000 people with nothing but a sardine lunchable. Discontinued flavor. I mean, he he scared demons so badly that they ran off and drowned themselves just to get away from him. He he met a total stranger and somehow mysteriously knew the story of her five ex-husbands. And you know, we hear all these stories and we don't ever really ask ourselves how did Jesus do it because we sort of assume we know. Jesus had divine power pumping through his veins. He's Clark Kent. He's Peter Parker. He's human plus a little bit extra. But you know, that, that actually isn't how the early Christians, the early disciples of Jesus understood what he was doing. Um, Philippians chapter two contains one of the earliest hymns, one of the earliest records of what were the first Christians saying about Jesus. And Philippians two, six and seven says this. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. In other words, Philippians is saying, Jesus did not come into the world with a divine spider bite empowering him. He didn't have a few tricks, a few magic powers hidden in his back pocket in case of emergencies. Jesus didn't go through the world hitting home runs because he was hopped up on spiritual steroids. That, that would defeat the point. If you're gonna teach people how to be human, you have to be playing with the same equipment that they're playing with. So, so Jesus emptied himself of his divine power, his privilege, his knowledge, and he entered the world in a fully human body with our capacities and our limitations from start to finish, Jesus played this game using only our equipment. So this raises an obvious question for us, right? If that's true, then how on earth did Jesus do the stuff that he did? And this, I think, is the beginning of our invitation to rethink all that we think we know about Jesus. To begin with, we we know that Jesus lived on earth around 33 years, and 90% of that time is total silence. Now, If you were one of those shepherds who was there on the first Christmas like hearing this grand announcement, wouldn't you be thinking after three decades or so, did I miss something? What's the delay? But well, we only have one story on record of what Jesus was doing during this whole 30 year period. And that story comes from a moment when Jesus is a precocious 12 year old and he's in the temple with the teachers of scripture, listening to them teach and asking them, just peppering them with questions. But what is Jesus doing in this whole three decade period? Well, he appears to be studying. He's studying the scripture. He's learning the story of what God has done in the world, in history, and he's learning to figure out what his place is within that greater storyline. as Luke puts it, he grows in wisdom and in stature, just like the rest of us grow. So fast forward to age 30, the first moment the adult Jesus kind of steps on the scene, the very first story we have of adult Jesus comes from his baptism. Jesus hears there's a, there's a revival happening with this famous preacher named John out in the desert. Jesus shows up to be baptized and he's praying and all of a sudden he sees the Holy Spirit in this form that kind of looks like a dove descend from heaven and rest on him. Now, I'm gonna admit, admit something embarrassing for you as like a Bible scholar and lover myself. Um, I used to think this was the single most boring story in the entire ministry of Jesus. As a preacher, I would look at it and I would be like, what should we possibly say about this? The Holy Spirit came, okay, what's the big deal? But here's the thing, Jesus was fully human just like we are human. He had emptied himself, remember, of all his divine power, insight, and privilege. There is a reason that not a single miracle of Jesus, not a single teaching or sermon of Jesus is recorded prior to this moment, because this moment The descent of the Holy Spirit opens a channel of connection between the human Jesus and heaven that everything Jesus does in his ministry depends on. Everything he does, everything he's famous for, begins in this moment of connection forming. So move forward just a little bit in the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 9, there's this amazing story where Jesus takes his kind of, three best disciples, Peter, James, and John, for whatever quality of best you might guess, and he says, hey, we're gonna go on a spiritual retreat, and we're gonna leave the other nine of you in charge. It's kind of a high-pressure situation. And so so the other nine disciples are in charge, and wouldn't you know it, after a little while, a parent shows up with a really sick kid, a kid that's possessed by a spirit, and the parent says, you know, disciples of Jesus, can you please heal my child? And they think, okay, okay and they try every trick in the book. They command the spirit out, and that doesn't work, so then they, they do what Jesus' followers do next, and they command it louder, and commanding it louder doesn't work, and they think maybe a little like hand wave is necessary, and that doesn't work, and then they start trying different formulas. In the name of the God of Israel, in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and what the heck, Miriam, nothing. And they just try formula after formula until they're red in the face, and they're sweating. At a certain point in this process, some of the local religious leaders show up, and they begin to express their opinion on what is going wrong here. Who is screwing up the formula? And, and they start having this kind of debate, this argument, like, did, did Bartholomew's formula, did that make the demon's nose twitch because it seemed like it? And then one of the leaders says, No, that was a sneeze, and Thaddeus' fist is about to fly. And this is the moment that Jesus kind of walks in on the scene and is like, What is going on, guys? What have you been doing in my absence? And so the disciples tell him, like, here's all of the stuff we tried, Jesus, and none of it's worked, and this is what's happened. And Jesus says, Okay. And he turns to the child and he says, Mute and deaf spirit, get out. And it goes. And you know, everybody is excited because it's good that the kid got healed, but they're also kind of disappointed. Because there was no formula, right? There was no magic gesture. Nobody made a potion of donkey dung. Like, what are they supposed to be taking from this? And they pulled Jesus aside and they're like, Jesus, our technique was way better than your technique. So why didn't this work for us? And you know what Jesus does not say to them? He does not say to them, hey punks, I'm Jesus. Give me some respect. He says to them, this kind comes out only by prayer. It comes out only by prayer. If you pay attention to this theme in the rest of the ministry of Jesus, you're gonna start noticing something. Before Jesus sees the Holy Spirit descend and land on him, he is praying. And before Jesus shows up in his hometown synagogue and gets out this scroll from the prophet Isaiah and says, here's my mission, here's what God has sent me to planet Earth to do, he is fasting for 40 days. Before Jesus goes out and says, you, you, and you, you're gonna be my 12 disciples, we're told he was up praying all night. Before Jesus walks on water, he's away on a solitary retreat. Before Jesus has this conversation with Peter and the rest of his disciples where he says, who do you say that I am? And for the first time reveals he is the Messiah and he is going to suffer. He is away again alone. Before Jesus goes to the cross, before he's crucified, he not only spends a night in prayer, we're told explicitly he is singing songs. He is reciting psalms. What does Jesus think he's doing? The answer is nothing on his own. Nothing on his own. He explicitly talks to his disciples about this in John 5. He says to them, Truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. Nothing. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does. John 12, a little bit further. Jesus says, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So, what are all of these spiritual practices doing for Jesus? Well, I think we can identify at least three key things. Um, number one, if you're going to say only what the Father says, if you're going to only do what the Father is doing, you have to know what that is. And it is really hard in the first century, you know, let alone now in the 21st, where we have sound and AirPods in our ear and things coming at us all the time to hear anything outside of all the noise. Spiritual practices create a kind of space for listening so that we can know what God is saying and doing. That's a starting point. But the second thing that spiritual practices do for us, and this is so important, remember the Holy Spirit has opened up this channel of connection, but that channel of connection does not work equally, it does not flow equally in all conditions. And have any of you ever turned on a garden hose to sort of water your plants and had that hose going just like full tilt, the faucet's open, but there's a bend in the hose and nothing is coming out, right? The, the water is on, but there, there's a bend. So the, the hose is out of alignment and when the channel is out of alignment, nothing is coming through it. Part of what spiritual practices do, they aim to create a kind of alignment between where God is, what God is doing, what God is saying, and where we are, and what we are doing, and what we are saying. Jesus did the practices, he did the work of aligning the channel so he always was where God was and he did what God did and he said what God said. When that channel is aligned, when, when there's a straight line of connection, that is when the power of God can flow freely. And you see that again and again and again in the ministry of Jesus. Third thing that spiritual practices do. You you might notice that the ministry of Jesus is bracketed on both sides, the beginning and the ending, by stories of temptation. One happens in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. One happens in the garden of Gethsemane at the end. And in both of these situations, Jesus is genuinely wrestling with a real temptation to choose something other than what God is choosing. That right? There is a real danger in both of these stories that Jesus could be thrown off course in pursuing the mission of God by pursuing the wrong thing or by pursuing the right thing for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way. I mean, if that's true of Jesus, you better believe it's true of all of us. There are things in the devil, in the world, and in us that will seek to obstruct that channel of connection. It's like getting a rock or even some little fine sand that just builds up and begins to clog that channel out. This feels like a really daring statement to make, but I think we can defend on the basis of the gospel that prayer, fasting, scripture, worship were the only thing standing between Jesus. These practices were what stood between Jesus and saving the world and Jesus and being Satan's minion. I mean, these practices kept his vision clear, kept his feet grounded, kept that connection flowing so that what Jesus did, everything he did, everything he said was aligned with the heart and the character of God. So what does all this have to do with us? Well, this is where it gets really crazy. (laughs) Jesus said to his followers that when he went away, he was going to send the same spirit that came on him at his baptism onto them at theirs. And that Holy Spirit was going to open that same channel of connection that was open on him and his ministry so that we, the followers of Jesus, could enjoy the same possibilities of communication that Jesus enjoyed with the Father. He says it like this in John fourteen, sixteen, and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. This spirit is going to be the open communication link between you and the Father from here forward. But it's not just communication that's coming down this channel. Jesus says more than that. He also says to his disciples, this spirit is going to empower you to continue my ministry, so that everything that I've done, you, my followers, can do after me. John fourteen twelve. truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I am doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I mean, let's just note, this is not a magic formula, right? This is not a way of saying that sometime if you pray for someone and it doesn't work, that you have failed as a believer or that that person has failed. This is a statement of principle. In principle, there is nothing possible for the human Jesus that is not possible for his followers because the same spirit is on them and the same channel of connection is always open. So how is this gonna work? Well, same conversation as saying this, Jesus says to his followers, here's how it's gonna work. John 15, five to eight. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says, I can't do anything on my own, you can't do anything on your own either, but if this channel of connection is open, all of the resources of heaven are available to you as my disciples. Your broken, limited, finite human body can be the place heaven touches earth. Your finite human body can be the place that God's grace and power and goodness is made available to the world. Jesus has made possible this channel of connection between you and the Father through the Holy Spirit, and it's sort of like there's this this one end of the hose that is at the foot of the throne of God, and it ends here in your body. And all kinds of things can move along that channel. The wisdom of God, the healing power of God, the grace of God. Your life can be like a living spring on earth where all of this goodness flows from. But, and let's say this really clearly, no servant is greater than their master. You are not holier than Jesus. The living water doesn't come from you. This incredible flow of heaven that Jesus promises depends on the kind of connection Jesus describes. And the connection is not the connection of your cell phone charger into the wall, which you charge up once a week on Sunday morning and you rip it out and you run down the battery for seven days. Jesus says this is a vine and branch connection. The moment you break that connection, the fruit dries up. The moment you misalign it, the moment you clog it, the moment anything gets twisted, there is no fruit. It has to be a living, constantly open and secure and flowing connection. Jesus didn't do the things he did because he was Peter Parker. He did the things that he did because he was a pure open spring. Because he had learned and he had committed to a set of practices that were going to constantly clear that connection, remove the obstructions, and make sure he was aligned with what God was doing in any given moment. And Jesus learned from these practices how to let go of fear and self-preservation. Nothing clogs a channel faster than fear. Jesus learned through this set of practices how to let go of ego and the hunger for power and control. Nothing twists, nothing misdirects that channel faster than ego. And when Jesus learned these things, when he learned through spiritual practices to align himself with the heart of God, he didn't have to know any magic tricks. He didn't have to have any superpowers. All he had to do was just open his hands and let the spring flow over them drink that living water for himself, and offer it, offer that healing water to the rest of the world. And extraordinary as it sounds, he says the same can be true of us. Not the super disciples, not the special disciples, all the disciples. Every disciple has the capacity to experience the love and the favor of God directly for themselves. Every disciple has the capacity to know the mind of God, to know God's business, to know what God is saying and doing in this place at this moment. Every disciple has the capacity to become a living spring of God's healing water for the world. The Holy Spirit has made that possible. That's what the Spirit does. But every one of us are gonna go out today and we are going to encounter a thousand distractions a thousand misdirections, a thousand different kinds of lies that are gonna seek to twist and clog the channel that makes that possible. It's gonna happen because the devil is wily, and it's gonna happen because flesh is weak, and it's gonna happen because the world is just complicated. It just is. And that's why it's so critical. Jesus told his disciples, if you're gonna be a follower of me, do the things you see me doing because they're gonna make this possible, sustainable. They're gonna clear the channel and keep it open so that everything you saw in me, the world can see in you. Spiritual practices are not the homework of the Christian life. Spiritual practices are the critical infrastructure. They are the critical infrastructure. They are the way that God's healing and God's hope flows through us to the world. I mean, the world needs 10,000 little living springs of water. Every neighborhood, wherever you live, here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, those of you who are online, every city you live in is desperate, every neighborhood is desperate for one of these springs of healing water. And you can be that spring. Your home can be that spring, your church can be that spring, but only when you are committed to doing the daily work of tending the channel, tending the infrastructure. You let the bridge collapse and nothing's coming across it. We show we are Jesus' disciples by producing fruit and we produce fruit by doing the disciple acts that make it possible for us to become the thing that Jesus says we can be confidants of God and the places on earth that God's living water flows. I Wanna invite you now to just spend a couple minutes in prayer with me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that channel is already built. You don't build the channel. The Holy Spirit is the channel. It is right now with you, it is open Right, so let's take a moment together with that in mind and just ask and invite the Spirit to show us if that channel is currently bent, if it's obstructed, what would it mean to clear a little bit out today so that the power of God, the goodness of God can flow a little bit more freely. Let's pray together. Jesus, your dreams for us are always so much bigger than the dreams we've had for ourselves. We've done so many things in our own strength, and they might have been good things. But you tell your disciples there's greater things, there's better things, when it's not your strength driving it anymore, but it's mine. This spirit you have given us makes things possible for your people, your disciples, your church that we have not even imagined, that we haven't even envisioned. It's true of us collectively, our collective channel, and it's also true of us individually in our own walks as disciples. So we pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would speak with that small voice within us about the state of that channel. Show us anything in us that is clogging up the free flow of what you desire to do. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to begin the work of unbending us, unclogging us. For some of us, that may take a moment, and for some of us, that may take years of really heavy lifting. Maybe the infrastructure has been neglected for a really long time. But your Spirit is able to empower us, to teach us. so that the world may know that we are your disciples by the water, by the fruit, by the goodness that is produced. In the name of Jesus, lead us, teach us, so that the water can flow freely. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Megan, thank you for bringing that word. It was a fantastic, encouraging word for us. A, a tall bar, but a beautiful bar to reach. And I thank you for that. And now I understand better why Greg so, much, so badly wanted Megan to be here. Hey, I just want to encourage you. If you, if you just now, in, sitting quietly, heard a name or maybe a Bible verse that came to mind, or a, like, a, like John 3.16, Um, or a picture popped into your head, I want to encourage you to take seriously what we just experienced here and ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to to do with that? He may have brought a name of somebody that you need to have a a healing conversation with to reopen that channel again. So just, I want to encourage you to take what you just heard from the Holy Spirit and process it. Maybe you need to find a friend to do that. Maybe you would want to join in on one of the gathering groups that we have, Tuesday nights or Wednesday mornings, where other parts of our body are coming together and wrestling with or discussing and processing the sermons. And maybe Megan has said something today that you want to talk more with someone about. Gathering groups would be a great place to do that. We have... um, The MuseCast on Tuesdays. I don't know what you're doing on Tuesday afternoon, but maybe you could, Annie, just wondering. Tuesday afternoons, the MuseCast. You could go deeper into some of these ideas that Megan presented for us today with Dan and with Shawna. Also, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we really could use help down in the children's ministry. However, if you have a little one, that you want to have be a part of that, we ask you to save a spot for your kiddo. So please remember to do that. And I'd like to invite the prayer team to come up at this time. And if you have anything that you want prayer for, boy, if the Lord was speaking to you through this message, please come up. And these guys who are coming up to the front right now, they would love to pray with you over that. And for you on Zoom, or those of you online, we have Zoom uh, rooms available for you. We'll put you in a private little Zoom room with a prayer minister who can just help you pray over whatever it is that you may need prayer for. God bless you all. Go in peace.